Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking about one of the most important but under-discussed issues in politics, and that is redistricting. Every 10 years, America conducts a census, and then based on that new information, every state redraws their political boundaries the House and State Assembly and State Senate districts, and here in California also for our Board of Equalization. Now, in most states, the politicians draw the lines themselves, which is ridiculous when you think about it. They're, they're basically ensuring their own job sticks around. And it's always done in a partisan manner behind closed doors. That's one reason why Republicans have maintained political power in the United States. They control most state governments and they draw the maps to keep themselves in power. Democrats do the same things in states where they rule. But California does things differently. An independent Citizens Commission draws the maps and that process is kicking into gear right now. Our guest is one of the members of that commission, Sarah Sadwani, and in her day job, she's a professor of political science at Pomona College here in California. I moderated a panel on redistricting the other day at UC Berkeley and Professor Sadwani was one of the guests, and I immediately thought she'd be someone who would be great for you to hear from. She's going to explain how all of you can get involved in this process and represent your communities. And so now, here is our conversation with Sarah Sadwani. Professor Sarah Sadwani, from your office in Pasadena to my home in Oakland, California, welcome to It's All Political. Thanks so much for having me. So we were recently on a panel at UC Berkeley to talk about redistricting. And you said that you wanted to make redistricting sexy. And I, I, I think it's sexy. You, you think it's sexy, but most people have no idea what redistricting is or why it's important. Tell us how you're going to bring the sexy back to redistricting and how we can get people involved. Here. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, for this question, yes, at the <laughs> at the California Citizens Redistricting Commission, our our greatest challenge is to make redistricting sexy for the residents of California, because we have a mission to get as many folks involved in this process as possible. Um, you know, the the state of California switched to using an independent Citizens Redistricting Commission back in 2008, and we saw it in action for the first time in 2011. Um, and I, I think much to everyone's surprise that the, the commission did amazingly well. They received an incredible amount of feedback and, and input. Um, and we want to make sure that in, in this round of redistricting in 2021, that we too are reaching as many people as possible. Um, in 2011, they received nearly 20,000 submissions um, from, from folks on the ground. Um, and we anticipate that that number will be quite a lot higher this time around. So, so we certainly want to reach as many folks and hear from as many Californians um, to hear about where their communities lie, to hear about why representation matters to them and why their communities should be kept together or, or, or paired with other, other nearby communities as well when, we, when it comes to redrawing district lines. Let's let's back up a second and just explain why uh, it's important that that this all happens. And, and you alluded to this: California, for the first time, had a independently chosen citizens commission draw the district boundary lines for all your assembly districts, state senate districts, house districts. And uh, before 
California, like many uh, other states, most other states still do this. Uh, it's done by politicians. So the people who we're electing are, are getting to choose where they, uh, where their, what the district is, which is back asswards. That's not the way it should be. We are very evolved in that way. But explain to us why this process is important. Why should someone care about where, where their district is? I, you know, they, I, people might be saying, I, I go to vote the same place all the time. But why do these districts matter? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, districts matter for representation. So when it comes to funding for your schools, your libraries, your roads, the bridges, local parks, any of those things, um, typically there's a flow from federal dollars down to your local community. And you want to make sure that you have representatives uh, who are are meeting your needs and, and being responsive uh, to to the interests that, uh, that your community has. You know, my day job is actually as a political scientist, and I, I specifically study representation um, for, you know, low-income, minority, immigrant communities. Representation matters. And for too long, too many communities have been excluded from this process and end up with not so great representation. And I think that's 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 why independent redistricting commissions are so important. Um, often, as you as you mentioned, uh, legislatures retain the power to draw the lines, and it's typically done in backroom negotiations in which the public has no say. There's zero transparency. Um, and ultimately, that doesn't serve the people. The, the politicians end up choosing who they want to represent as opposed to uh, individuals and, and, and citizens who can vote having a, an opportunity to choose their elected officials themselves. Um, so, you know, this, this, the independent pr redistricting process is so important uh, because it shines a light on how this process, uh, how people engage in this process, the kinds of information that we'll use to draw the lines. And when it comes to line drawing, it'll all be done in public. Um, so I, I can absolutely anticipate that, that we'll have lots of folks calling in to tell us that we're doing it wrong, we're getting it wrong. Um, you know, it, it will be a statewide discussion um, and, uh, and as it should be. And certainly that's, that's where we, we see problems in other parts of the country, right? Where we see extreme partisan gerrymandering occurring so that, that communities have, are, it's almost impossible for them to elect the candidates of their choosing. Um, they're completely shut out of the process because of how those lines are drawn. And that's uh, part of what you're going to be embarking on very soon, at the beginning of June, right uh, after we're recording this. You're going to have a, a public tour, if, if you will. You're going to be going around the state, holding meetings in, in, in communities all around the state to try and get input from Cal the Californians who live in those communities about what their, and this is a term that you'll be hearing a lot of, community of interest is. Um, tell us, first of all, is this public tour going to be in person? This is this is the big question. <laughs> um, as of right now, we're planning for virtual. Our first uh, input session is scheduled for June 10th. Um, that's before the governor is planning to lift, lift those restrictions. Um, so certainly that one will be virtual. And we're planning to be prepared to potentially pivot if it's possible to do so. We want to make sure that we get to as many places as possible, but we also want to create a safe environment for everyone. And so right. we recognize that while we absolutely want to be in person, um, 
not everyone is going to feel feel safe being in a, a crowded room um, providing testimony. So we are absolutely, we're planning virtual at this point in time and hoping that we'll be able to pivot throughout the summer to do more in-person meetings. You have some challenges, <clears throat> excuse me, with the uh, commission. And one of them is that you got the census data. The census data is obviously fuels uh, what, how you draw the maps because that will tell you where everybody lives. Um, and this year, because of COVID and, and other delays, uh, so typically they'd give you this. They'd give the redistricting commission the data by the end of March, and now you're not getting it until August 16th. Now you need time to process that data and listen to public opinion, as we've been talking about, incorporate it, draw the final lines, <clears throat> and then our local registers or registrars of voters need to tell people where those new districts are give candidates a time to uh, you know, to file if they want to run for office. I was recently, and I think I might mention this in the in the, um, in the uh, panel we had at UC Berkeley the other day, I've been talking to a number of registrars of voters for another story I was working on, and they are freaking out about that they won't have enough time to get all everything together for our, our next primary election in California, which is June 7th. Secretary of State's very concerned about this. Now, I, I notice in today's agenda, you're, you were scheduled to give a report on the timeline today. Are you confident that California will be able to hold its primary election on June 7th? I, I think it's doable. I think it's doable. I, I will say there's a lot of community groups that are pushing us hard um, to to advocate for moving the primary. Now, the commission, of course, does not have the the authority to move that primary. Um, that's that's the job of the legislature. Um, but uh, you know, there's a number of concerns that 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 have been raised, um, and we've also been talking with with uh, representatives of county elections officials and 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 registrars as well. And certainly, it's been a learning process for us. We had. Um, representatives of um, the CACEO come and and tell us what the CECA. So tell us what that is. Um, this is a great question. I will get that name to you in just one second. But it's ultimately the the organization that uh, um, brings together the elector county electors and and registrars from across the um, from across the state, um, and they had presented to the commission. Back in, I believe it was March, um, that was certainly a, a big learning opportunity for us to learn more about all of the mandates and requirements that they have in order to ensure that the that the election actually happens, right? So all of the work that has to happen after we certify the maps. Um, and... Uh, um, it's the California Association of Clerks and Election Officials, CACEO. Yes, yes. So my apologies. Those are your local yeah. registrars of voters. Exactly. Yes. Um, so we have most certainly been been having a number of conversations with folks to try and figure out this issue. I think it's possible that we can still do it. The the California Supreme Court did give us additional time, which assuming we get that data August 16th would look like that would put our deadline at December 31st. There's a number of community groups, however, that are concerned that a December 31st timeline falls right in the middle of the holidays. Um, and then it, it limits people's ability to really meaningfully engage. And I think we certainly hear that concern and we're trying our best to work through it. I think ultimately, if we want to have additional time, we need to, you know, take it back to the Supreme Court and and figure out that timeline. Um, so there's a lot of moving pieces here uh, as we continue to move forward in this process. But we are committed 
to being good partners. I mean, I've, we've had multiple conversations uh, amongst the commissioners um, in open session, of course, um, you know, discussing um, how our ultimate goal is political participation and, and a strong democracy here in California. So, you know, keeping the maps later you know, if if that's going to have a negative impact on people's participation in the primary, that's certainly something that we would be concerned about. At the same time, we do have a mandate for broad and inclusive um, participation, and so we're really trying to weigh those 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 varying factors as we move forward. Because the concern would be, you would come come uh, forward with your maps, and and then it, you know this is right around the holidays and you know, Christmas and et cetera, et cetera, and. Uh, and people would be like, "Well, wait a minute. Do I really want to dive into you know my my local map around then? I, you know all the stuff that's going around then, and that would be a concern." So, and then the options are we we could push the primary back. I know, as you said, this isn't your bailiwick, but we could push the primary back a little bit. Correct. Yes, and and that's certainly one of the pieces that we're looking at. Is you know if we certified the maps later in January, um, how how much later would it make that primary? Um, certainly, there's also a number of statutory requirements that would have to take place. There's a timeline from the primary to the general election as well, so it can't be pushed back too far. Um, but we might have a couple of weeks that we could we could look at. We'll have more of our conversation about redistricting with Sarah Sedwani after this short break. Before we talk about communities of interest, I want to go back to that because that's that's what people can participate in. Um, the, the commission's also got some criticism recently from Charles Munger. And for those who don't know who Charles is, he's a wealthy Republican donor. He actually sponsored and funded the legislation that created the uh, this wonderful nonpartisan independent redistricting commission. And uh, he said the commission members are violating the state's transparency laws by talking to groups and individuals without public notice and without recording all of their contacts in the community. He's concerned because he and others envision the, the commission as, as being a transparent body, which you alluded to. How do you how do you respond to this? What do, do what what Munger's concerns are here? Yeah, you know, for folks that have been following our process from the very beginning, um, back in September, October, we had adopted a policy um, of two-person subcommittees, which are perfectly allowable under, under the transparency laws, specifically for the purpose of gathering information, developing recommendations, and bringing it back for the commission. So, you know, this is the, this is the piece that, that Mr. Munger has been concerned about. Um, while I understand that concern, it's, it's, you know, perfectly permissible under under the law, you know, in all of the instances where we've done, you know, where we have these two-person meeting subcommittees, um, you know, I feel very confident that all of my colleagues have been reporting back all of their information. And ultimately, those sub- subcommittees are only advisory, right? So so they have no power. <laughs> it's only bringing information back back to the, um, to the full commission. Um, another com- key component to that is is a portion of the law talks about how we can't receive information about redistricting matters. Um, you know, we, along with our council and at the advice of our council, we've, we have, have taken the understanding that redistricting matters refers to specifically line drawing. So, you know, the specific instance that Mr. Munger was, was concerned about was, were conversations about the census delay. Um, that's not discussing any 
portion of line drawing only thinking about like what is the impact of the census delay and trying to figure figure out many of these components that we're talking about here today. Um, so, you know, we certainly appreciate that concern and we appreciate the concern of all Californians who want to, to tap in and be a part of this process. And that's really the whole point um, is that more folks will will be engaged um, you know, I think you're in the news business. There's there's that old saying, no news is bad news, right? So, you know, if if there's if this is making headlines, then perhaps more folks will actually get more involved. Maybe we'll make redistricting even more sexy um, <laughs> uh, when we have, you know, big partisan, um, um, you know, backers uh, uh, weighing in on our process. So um, we welcome we welcome everyone's commentary and, and happy to answer questions about it. And we talked about this the other day on the panel and said there was a criticism last time that members uh, of the commission, the Democratic Party, was had created sort of these fake astroturf groups that, that presented themselves of, as communities of interest. What are, what are you doing to keep on the lookout for that from, from either side? Because this is uh, to... to um, because you're, you're, you are all going out of your way to to welcome people into the process. But when you uh, open the door wide, you know, let's, let's face it, politicians are always going to try and look for a way to, to work the system. Um, what what are you doing to to keep on the lookout for sort of fake AstroTurf groups from from regard from any side? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Certainly tensions are high, especially once we received the news that California is losing a congressional seat. So I can certainly anticipate that there will be many actors out there who want to get involved in this process who may have have less than um you know, uh, civic minded, civic minded yes. uh, concerns. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Thank <laughs> More you. personal concerns. That's right. <laughs> like I may lose my job. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. You know, at the end of the day, we're putting in place a number of security measures um, in terms of appointment systems, how many times people can, can um, you know, submit testimony, how long they have to submit testimony, all of those components. Um, you know, my understanding from 2010 is that at a certain point it became very obvious, right, when when a, a person or a number of people all came up with the same sort of message and you could really see this coordinated um, effort happening because, you know, I think if if you really want that heard, then you're going to try to, 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 you know, use your microphone as, as much as possible. Um, so we'll certainly be looking out for that. We're going to be looking for evidence from people's testimony of, of what is it that really that really holds their community together. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we anticipate that there will be people trying to, to weigh in on this process that probably are partisan and, and we'll have to do our best to judge that. And my guess is that the public will be partners in that process. Um, you know, I, 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 because all of this testimony is received openly and transparently, um, I, I can imagine if someone's there with a nefarious purpose that we're probably going to hear about that too. We've already seen that um, even in the selection of counsel and such things, right? We, we, we get really helpful letters for things that you know, we hadn't necessarily seen ourselves. Um, so, so there's definitely going to be um, a lot of back and forth. And I think we're going to have to keep our eyes wide open as we move forward and do our best to really make sound judgments. I have to say, uh, I'm, I've been really 
just so pleasantly surprised by all of my colleagues on the commission. And I think just a reminder for folks, um, the commission is made up of five Democrats, five Republicans, and four independents. Um, but the the process, the, the the vetting process that we all had to go through, I think, largely worked. <laughs> we have a lot of, of folks with great analytic skills. Um, everyone's very personable. I think there's a real sense that we all want to work together and recognize our differences, but still work towards a common goal. Um, so I think that we're, we're going to, we're going to do okay. Um, you know, sifting through all of the, the public testimony that we receive. Well, let's, uh, you, one of the first things you did as the commission is to, is to go back and look at what you, uh, the, what the 2010 commission did and what their, uh, what you learned from then. Paul Mitchell, uh, who was one of, uh, California's preeminent, uh, Political data gurus, and he's a like uh, like us, a stone cold uh, redistricting nerd savant. Uh, said that ten years ago, quote unquote, the lines were the enemy because you know you were dealing with this this previous process that were were drawn. The lines were drawn by politicians, and so you had to create these maps. And so, um, uh, so now that the lines are more sane, the districts are more sane. What is what's your I say, what's your enemy now? But what's your sort of prime prime directive? What what are you focused on now? That's what do you think the biggest uh, thing you need to to correct, improve upon from 2010 till now is? Yeah, I, well, I I think that the COVID nineteen environment might be one of the biggest challenges that we have to face that 2010 did not. Um, as we've talked about, right? I mean, even in our planning, we don't know <laughs> what's going to be required of us come June fifteenth. Um, we have been advocating to the governor to actually not lift the executive orders that have um, that have been been ruling over commissions during this time period. If those executive orders are lifted, we would not be able to meet virtually. Um, and we see that as a potential real barrier for people to participate. Um, certainly while things are improving across the state, um, there are a number of, of you know, Californians, as well as one of our commissioners who continues to face long-term physical uh, health impacts from COVID-19. Um, so I do think figuring out this, you know, how we do this outreach um, in this environment with expectations shifting on a dime, right? I mean, we could open up June 15th. If things go poorly in some area of the state, maybe things will change again, or there might be different, um, you know, different provisions in one county versus another. Um, that's a real challenge that we face. Uh, you know, I I don't think our, the lines are our enemy this time around, certainly. Um, you know, I, I think the 2010 commission did a really fantastic job. Certainly, though, we're, we're operating under different conditions. The Voting Rights Act, for example, looks quite different um, today in 2021 than it did in 2010, um, given some of the Supreme Court rulings over the last Explain decade. how that uh, affects uh, what you do, because previously the Supreme Court demanded you uh, submit a certain uh, districts for approval, uh, because, and, and but now that requirement is gone. Um, and in California, we typically, we don't think that that's a big deal, but is it a big deal or how would that affect what your work is now? Well, I think it's going to uh, impact 
where and how we start our work. Um, so in 2010, my understanding is that they started with those counties um, in which the Voting Rights Act required preclearance, which is exactly as you said, right? Um, changes had to be approved by the by the Justice Department um, federally. And so ultimately their process then started in those areas. Now with that removed, given the Shelby County um, um, ruling in the Supreme Court, uh, which removed the the formula for preclearance. Um, I don't know that we'll start in those those same counties. Uh, I think there's there's other areas that probably um, might make a, a little bit more sense to start start in. We actually haven't finalized that plan as of yet, um, but certainly it has been a discussion uh, am- amongst the. Um, amongst the the commission. We have an incoming Voting Rights Act attorney who's going to be um, helping provide some VRA guidance who should be joining us hopefully in June. Um, We're still waiting on that contract process, Um, but um, hopefully we'll be able to lay out a stronger plan once we have have that guidance in place. And what's one of the concerns also is because of the way things, uh, and we got a preview of this the other day from some of the state's leading demographers at the panel we were both on, um, the, um, that the, you know, the communities of color have shifted around the state, um, both in the Bay area and Los Angeles. Um, what, what are you doing to, um, uh, to make sure that more communities of color are involved in this process, that they can talk about what their, uh, community, what they would like to keep intact, whether their concerns are. And because uh, they arguably have the most to lose in this process. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and in that way, the 2020 commission is very different from 2010. Um, we have a lot more time on our hands in large part because the 2010 commission advocated us for for this commission to be seated earlier, but also because of the census delay. And we've been using that time to really educate ourselves as well as the rest of Californians who want to, who want to you know, weigh in and watch our, our meetings um, about communities on the ground. So we have had panels from um, Native American tribes uh, and tribal communities, from Pacific Islanders, from Asian American communities across the state, um, from Black and Latinx communities. So we've really been learning a lot. In addition, we've also done panels on labor, on business, on the environment, on LGBTQ communities as well. So we've used this time to really help educate ourselves on some of the needs that we need to be looking out for on the ground. And certainly as it, as it relates to communities of color, that that is something I think the commission is 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 has is eyes wide open on and really looking out for. Certainly, we're thinking about that in our outreach, um, in our outreach efforts to ensure that we have language accessibility, that we've translated many of our documents into languages that that communities on the ground can can use uh, and and distribute within their own communities. Um, so we definitely are are um, are keeping our eyes open for. Um, input from communities of color, as well as doing that demographic analysis. So we had had PPIC come and and offer a preliminary sense of the kinds of shifts that we've had in the state 
since 2010. And certainly once we get that census data, we'll be looking in much greater detail um, at the actual shifts that we'll be working on. So for example, you know, as you've mentioned, right, the, the increases of the Latinx community, for example, in the South Los Angeles area, the large increases of Asian Americans in Orange County. So all of those pieces, I think, are, are really critical um, to how we do our work. And we often talk about how this process uh, it's not just a quantitative analysis. It's not just a qualitative analysis. It's really both, right? And and bringing in both that demographic data as well as um, the community testimony itself. What is, uh, as a commissioner, what's helpful for you to hear from uh, a community that's coming uh, to you or a member of the community is coming to you and, and to what their community should look like? Because I remember, you know, 10 years ago covering this stuff, a uh, lot, lot of folks in the black community felt afterwards that they, they were not their their districts were cut up. They, they were they were not felt that they were accurately represented. What as a commissioner helps you or would help you in terms of uh, what you want to hear from a community? Yep, um, it would be really helpful for folks to identify where their community lies. Literally, the streets, the neighborhoods, the blocks <laughs> um, in which they see their community is lying and and why they want to keep it together. What makes their community so special to them, right? Maybe it's the local church that that really holds the community together or the school, right, where parents meet in the schoolyard uh, and talk about issues that are facing them. Maybe it's the freeways that they're locked between um, and the, the problems that go, go along with that in terms of the environment or noise pollution. Um, so hearing very specifically about what, who their community is, what ties them together, and to the greatest extent possible, literally where their community lies, um, will help us to ensure that we're able to keep communities together. Um, certainly, we'll be looking at the demographic numbers, but that's not going to tell us, right? It can tell us where a Black population lives. It can't tell us, right, about the, the, the barbershop where the community meets, um, and why it's so important to keep that plus four extra blocks to the to the north or to the south together. Um, so that's the kind of information that we're really going to be looking for um, as we move forward. And you can literally draw your map of your community online and submit it to the commission. Tell us how, tell people how they can do that. That's right. So you, you know, folks can most certainly come and join us when we're doing throughout the, the, the listening tour that we're going to be doing throughout the summer, but people don't have to wait. Uh, they can go to drawmycacommunity.org. Uh, and we have a really user-friendly mapping tool in which they can go in, it's available in multiple languages, uh, and and begin to map it out. It's very similar to Google Maps, but there's a few simple drawing tools that folks can use. Uh, you can scroll down and, and look at your, your neighborhood and begin to plot out where your community lies, uh, and and then there, just write a brief narrative about why it is that you want your community kept together. You can write it in any language, and we will figure it out. We will work on getting on getting getting it translated so the commissioners uh, can all read it and and understand it. And where can we find out more about the when the commission's roadshow is coming to town near you? 
or maybe virtually a town near you. We'll see what happens. But when when can we? How can we find out more about that? Yes, absolutely. You can check out our website, wedrawthelinesca.org, and we have the full list of all of our uh, input sessions coming uh, that are upcoming throughout uh, July and August. Uh, there, we have just two sessions planned for June, just to kind of do it as a trial run, make sure that we work out all the kinks before we go um, full blast throughout July and August. All right. Professor, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And thanks for being on It's All Political. Thanks so much for having me. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Professor Sadwani for joining us today. I'd like to thank the King Webby Award-winning producer King Kaufman for producing this episode. And a shout out to that song you're hearing right now, our theme music, that's Cattle Call, and it was written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter whether you think redistricting is sexy or if it just makes you want to turn over and go to sleep, it's all political.